his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to play one of our favorite interviews from the past. A blast from the past. A Morning Briefing greatest hit, if you will. From the vaults. From way back in the... Well, you know, it's from an earlier show. It's when we talked with Paul Zoldra. Paul's the founder of the Duffel Blog. And we're going to talk to him about how he got started with that popular military humor site and how someone goes from Marine Corps veteran to purveyor of military humor. Hmm. Later, another Marine. Recon Marine Rudy Reyes. Now, you might know him from playing Recon Marine Rudy Reyes on HBO's Generation Kill. He's the guy who the embedded reporter who wrote the book Generation Kill essentially said... There's no way we can find someone to play Rudy Reyes other than actually Rudy Reyes. Rudy's going to join us to talk about his time in the Marine Corps, his transition to the veteran life, and how he ended up going from fighting insurgents to fighting the decay of coral reefs around the world via Force Blue. All that and more on the morning briefing show that starts now as we welcome Jake Hughes into the studio. Oh, and they're whistling for you, Jake. Strut it, shake it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, baby. I'm <laughs> I'm using all my moves now. That was a good one. I like that. That that reminds me of uh, what was the sunblock with the little baby on it with like the the Coppertone. dog Coppertone. Was it Coppertone trying to pull it down the baby's uh yeah. bathing suit? For some reason, I thought it was water babies. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't. I, clearly, I'm wrong. You you seem to know it's, right off the bat. It's, I'm pretty sure it's Coppertone. I don't know. Something doesn't sound right about that. I, mean, I could be totally wrong, though, and you could be totally He's right. He's looking it up right now. No, I, I was logging on to something else. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I was logging on because I want to get uh, I want to get the actual things that people I'll are saying to get this stuff. So, yeah, see if you can find out who exactly it was that put the uh, the baby get in the bathing suit uh, pulled down. Yep, on copper the, tone. Uh, copper tone? Yep. All right, well, there you go. Um, so what I was looking for was, oh, boy, hold on a second. No. All right. So we posted two stories yesterday. And the reason that we posted these stories on PFC Perez. Do you remember PFC Perez, Jake? uh, We talked about him before. He is the PTSD adult drug dealer, right? Yeah. So he's the guy served in the army for, uh, I don't know, something like two, 10 years or something like that. Um, you know, he served for or three years. I think it was 2002 to 2004. So somewhere between two and three years, uh, and was kicked out of the army for drugs was arrested in 2008 for trying to sell two pounds of cocaine to an undercover officer. And I wrote a story yesterday, a news article to be a companion piece to my earlier opinion piece from uh, you know two months ago or so, uh, is when 
this this guy got arrested for that, got put in jail in 2009, I believe, uh, served a jail sentence from 2009 to 2016, seven and a half years or so out of a 15-year sentence, and then was handed over to ICE, Immigrations and Custom, because he was a naturalized, uh, not a naturalized U.S. citizen, but he was a legal permanent resident with a green card. When he got caught selling cocaine to undercover officers, that violated the terms of his green card, which means he would be deported back to Mexico, a place that he hadn't lived since he was eight years old, but the only place in the world that he is technically a citizen of. Right. This story made the rounds a few months ago when he decided he was going to go on a hunger strike and the media covered that. And I looked into it. And if you remember, we talked about on the show, the fact that the news reports on it just didn't add up to me. As as someone who deployed, as someone who experienced and was in the military for 13 years, there were just different things that di- didn't add up, essentially. Like where he would be talking about, like, you know, I, I, I didn't know. I thought that I was going to get my citizenship automatically when I joined the military. That didn't make any sense to me because when, in 1998, when I came in, we had probably five or six guys in my boot camp division who were from outside of the United States. One from Nigeria, one from Cambodia, one from Brazil, one was from uh, Canada, I think, and then an English guy. So yeah, five people that I recall who were from outside of the country, all of whom were made aware of and knew that they needed to to work to get their citizenship, to put in the application, to do things the right way. This guy claims he was never told that. You said you found that extremely hard to believe, being a former drill sergeant yourself and knowing that they had to be told about that while they were at basic training in the Army, right? Exactly. There's a whole speech we had to give them about how to how to navigate the path of citizenship while they're in basic training to the point where you can actually get your citizenship if you started early enough while you're still in basic training. Yeah. So he didn't do that. Not only that, he was eligible for citizenship nine years or something like that. Wait, nineteen nine. Wait, he became eligible nineteen ninety four. Joined in two thousand two. So eight years before he joined, he was first eligible to apply for citizenship as a legal permanent resident, um, which is a, a faster process than doing it from outside of the country because you've already proved, some, gone through some of the hurdles that you need to get through to be able to do that. Never did it again. This is a guy who got kicked out for popping positive on urinalysis test. Uh, so his, you know, his word I think is is tarnished a little bit. Then I was also reading in the in the things that he had two deployments to Afghanistan. Well, when I was looking at his dates of service, and I'm like, 2002 to 2004, two deployments? I mean, it's possible. That was a very high op-tempo era. I mean, let's be honest. There were a lot of people who were deploying twice in the space of two and a half years. So I looked at it and said, okay, that's possible. But then I finally found an article that had dates of his, quote, two deployments. And it was like October to March and then May to October. So that said to me, oh, no, he did six months and then took R&R leave and then six months again. I checked with you. I checked with our own Matt Sainsing. I checked with other Army veterans I know who deployed multiple times. They said, the ones I, I, I talked to, special operations folks from the United States Army, who said, unless you're a Green Beret, a Delta, or a Battalion Ranger, you're not deploying twice separately within a single calendar year. For one, as you and Matt were telling me also, the pre- and post-deployment stuff you have to go through makes that timeline impossible for it to be two separate deployments, right? Absolutely. How much stuff do you have to do when you get back before you even get it back into regular, you know, stateside operations? Oh, God, not even talking about uh, equipment upkeep and stuff. You know, you got to... There's paperwork you got to follow to make sure your deployment pay stops. There's uh, reintegration training. There's all these other... At least... 
I would say half to a month's worth of classes and paperwork you have to do. So this guy, October to April and then, uh, yeah, uh, October to April 03 and then May to October 03. So two six month deployments, one of which actually I think would have been a five month deployment there because of that month in the middle in a 12 month, that didn't make any sense to me. And after making sure, because I was Navy, our deployments were different. We didn't have that R and R leave option. I actually ended up heading home a little bit early from Afghanistan because right. of my whole situation that we've talked about. But had I been there for the full year, I wasn't eligible for the R&R leave. But other Army units, the 10th Mountain guys and 4th Cav guys that were up there with us, they were eligible for that one-month R&R leave in the middle if they uh, wanted to take it and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I checked into that. And then also the conviction where I said, well, what did he get convicted for? These articles would say something like, oh, he had a drug charge, but not give you any details on it, like nothing. So I look into it and say, hey, well, what what was he actually convicted for? Then you find out, OK, he gave the uh, undercover officers, undercover feds, I believe, uh, a briefcase and that briefcase had cocaine in it. Now, he was convicted for intent to distribute less than 100 grams of cocaine. Prosecutors and the FBI say he was actually arrested with two plus pounds of cocaine in the briefcase. He pled down. So he was sentenced to 15 years, served seven plus before going into ICE custody. Um, you know, th this is important stuff. I mean, we're talking about someone who's kicked out of the military for drugs, then gets arrested four years later for a drug felony and never decided to go through with their citizenship. It's all, all started adding up to uh, a little bit more than what was being presented in the original stories to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. To the guy, you know, to use the parlance, to use the parlance, the guy is a, was a dirtbag soldier and he ended up being a dirtbag human being trying to sell that much cocaine well yeah and in in the opinion piece that i wrote that's kind of the conclusion that i came to that this this wasn't you know johnny squared away this this wasn't sergeant york by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> um and you know you would see people talking about he fought for his country he did this he did that he's not a combat veteran if he was that would be in the top that would be on the headline of these stories that you see on CNN and Yahoo News. We'll get to you in a moment, Yahoo News. Uh -oh. Good morning, America. Um, and then the other, the, the fifth fact that I went over in the news story from yesterday is that Senator Tammy Duckworth has spoken out on Perez's behalf. She's a senator from Illinois. He was in Illinois. That's where he lived. That's where he was arrested. Uh, she had been actively calling for the DHS secretary to allow Perez to stay in the United States, uh, released a statement saying she was very angry. I did point out in that that no one who served a alongside Perez, no one who knew him when he was in the army has come out publicly on his side. Now that doesn't mean anything, but it can speak volumes to you. If you read between the lines, I remember a recent story where we talked about, do you remember the story about the, uh, the veteran in Pacific Northwest? I want to say Washington or Oregon, who was originally from Korea, but it moved to the United States as like a three-year-old with his family. Again, green card holders, this guy, combat veteran, I legit PTSD Perez claims to have PTSD. I suppose a doctor validated that. I mean, I don't know. I don't have many of the details on him at all because the, the, the legal team doesn't want to release them perhaps because they don't think that those things uh, work in their favor. I mean, we still don't know what his MOS was. Nobody's speaking about that. Like, what did he do? Did he get PTSD while being a, an admin clerk and searching in the, I mean, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up right. while you get this stuff. The, the Korean veteran, was arrested. He was arrested several times, typically for just destructive stuff, throwing like a Molotov cocktail against a cement wall behind a hardware store, uh, you know, breaking things and stuff like that. P 
people who served with him came out and spoke on his behalf at the hearings and said, listen, this guy is, he's an American soldier. He's fought for his country. He did this. He did that. And we know he's had some issues. He needs help. He doesn't need any of this other stuff. Not a peep from anybody who served alongside Perez. Not that I've seen. Maybe they're out there. If somebody points me in their direction, I'll be happy to correct that line of it. But we posted these on Facebook and man, the response, Jake, has been pretty big. I mean, just looking at uh, the the news article, you've got you know fifty people responding uh, to, by a happy face, sad face, angry face type of things, and then a whole bunch of comments. And one of them, which I'm going to address now, says, "This is absolute hot garbage, and the author ought to be ashamed." Oh, you, you, Eric, hey, for shame! Hot garbage purveyor, Eric Dame. What is what is his discharge? Shame. What does his discharge status have to do with the discussion if it wasn't dishonorable? Well, I answered that question for him, and I'll answer it for you right now in the air as well. Uh, it has a lot to do with it because he got booted from the Navy for using drugs army. and uh, from the Army for booting drugs. That's right, he was in the Army. He was he was not in my f- world's finest Navy. Uh, booted from the Army for doing drugs. So the fact that he was kicked out of the military for doing drugs, that fact might be something that people would want to know about when trying to make an informed decision. Number two, uh, he's saying that uh, your natural-born citizen thinks that it's almost impossible to believe that you got your citizenship when you enlisted because literally a decade later he didn't experience that himself. I don't know exactly what that means. It's not very well written. But uh, he's saying that basically nobody was able to get citizenship until after the guy enlisted. Of course, I have facts to back that up, saying between 2002 and 2015, 109,000 service members were naturalized out of something like 180,000, so two-thirds of them were able to do it. How come only this guy claims that nobody ever told him about it? How come I don't see anybody else saying that? Um, What point does arguing what number of deployments he did prove? If I go on a deployment, come home for a month, and then head back out the door for another six months, any reasonable person not trying to put together an article about question mark would consider that two trips. No, 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 you wouldn't because it's one deployment according to the army, according to the soldiers, according to me, according to everyone who's been over there. And what's the point? The point is that this guy's trying to say that he did something that he didn't do, which brings his credibility into question when he says things like, oh, that two pounds of marijuana or two pounds of cocaine. I was just given the two pounds of cocaine by someone and I brought it. I didn't know what was in there. I didn't know who those guys were. I didn't know I was selling it. Really? Because the guy said nobody told him that he had to apply for citizenship. The guy said, you know, oh, I did two deployments when he clearly only did one. So credibility is an issue when it comes to things like this. Um, Four, he served his time. Are we really getting down to the level of breaking down the plea deal to see how much he really deserved? No, but I'm pointing out the fact that people are saying, well, he had less than 100 grams of cocaine. Eh, No, he had about 1,000 grams of cocaine. Two pounds is significantly more. Uh, Tammy Duckworth, she's a veteran, used her platform to do something other than, and then he used a very, very filthy term there uh, that basically uh, refers to screwing over a shipmate, essentially. Uh, Those who had a rougher go at it than you. One, How do you know he had a rougher go at it than I did or than anybody did? Because we don't know anything about this guy. We don't know about his MOS. We know he's not a combat veteran because, again, that would be in the headline. We know that he deployed once, said it was twice. We know he got kicked out like two years after he joined for popping positive on a urinalysis test. Uh, He claims to have PTSD. Again, I suppose that's been validated by a doctor. From what? 
Is this from his service? Is this from after his service? From before? We don't know. We don't have any of the timeline. And we have articles. This guy is asking, what's the point of all this? Well, I'm going to tell you what the point of all of it is, Alessandro. The point is that there are articles like this one from Yahoo News and Good Morning America that said he was discharged in 2010, diagnosed with PTSD, and arrested in the same year. Do you see any problem with that, Jake? It's a little wishy-washy. It's it's a lie. It's a totally incorrect timeline. It's a lie at worst. At best, it's a journalist who doesn't know what they're doing. He was already in prison by 2010. So how would he have been kicked out of the army and diagnosed with PTSD? Also, she doesn't say kicked out. She says discharged. It's a nice, softer way to put it. Oh, he yes. was booted. He popped positive on a test. They gave him a general discharge because they didn't want to deal with all the crap you have to go through with giving someone an, a dishonorable or anything like that. They just gave him a general discharge. He was in for two plus years. Just get out. Go private. Just have fun. Let the, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you and all that good stuff. That's what the point of this article is. And then, I, so I responded to him, and you know what? He responded again with another thing, and it's kind of like hemming a little bit on hemming what he hawing. said, a little hedging his bets there and saying that, oh, you know, by the time he had been discharged, blah, 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 he's going through all this stuff. He's saying that I'm using half facts to prove a point. Nothing I put in there is a half fact. Everything I put in there is a cold, hard fact. The fact that you don't like my facts doesn't make them any less true. And he claims this same guy, and this is interesting stuff, man. He claims we all, so he says, you're just talking about, you know, some guy that you used that, you know, and your drill sergeant guy or whatever, that's all anecdotal. And then says, how many veterans do we all know who self-medicated after a bad deployment and got themselves in trouble? Well, that's anecdotal. And what do you, what does that have to yeah. do with this guy? That has nothing to do with him. Also, again, a bad deployment. What's a bad deployment? Is there a good deployment? I guess I had some pretty good times on mine, but you know, I was outside the wire fairly regularly and going out and doing stuff. I don't know what this guy was doing. He may have been handing out volleyballs at the base gym. Like we, we literally don't know. So, you know, I, it just bugs me when you write something that's based entirely in fact, and someone comes at you saying like, well, these aren't facts. These are your, uh, these are, these are just your, uh, your half truths. Point out which one is a half truth and I'll gladly remove it. They're all facts. He was booted for drugs. You don't like that because it doesn't look good on him. This person is also apparently a bit of an activist for uh, uh, things like um, immigration and veterans who served and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. That's have, a noble goal. But yeah. this in this particular instance, the dude is just wrong. And I've been saying, man, I would be all for veterans who served honorably completed their term of enlistment first term four years whatever it is honorably automatic citizenship i'd be 100 percent fine with that i would love that even if that were the case guess who wouldn't qualify private first class miguel perez jr he would not qualify this was not an outstanding soldier in any way this was someone who didn't do well didn't the, the army wasn't for him. He didn't uh, apply for his citizenship while he was in there. And that's the other thing that I feel the need to point out. He was eligible, as I said, beginning in 1994 to first apply for citizenship. Now, at that point, he would have been 13 years old or something like that. So his parents would have made the decision. But let's go five years past that. That's 1999. That now puts him at 18 years old, I believe, in 1999. He... Three years later, still had not applied for citizenship when deciding to join the U.S. Army. 
two plus years after that, he gets booted from the army, did not apply for his citizenship while he was in the army. Four years after that, he's arrested for trying to sell cocaine. Still had not applied for that citizenship, not even begun the process. 2008 to 2016, when he was handed over to ICE, did not apply for that citizenship. 2018, when he was months away, weeks away from deportation, is when his lawyer finally began the process of applying for citizenship. Literally, the very last minute is when he first decided to apply for citizenship. So, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, no, the guy doesn't get my sympathy, for one. Two, we talk about veterans and we say we're not a monolith. And that's very true in good ways and in bad ways. There are plenty of dirt bags that I served alongside. There are people who I would say are just bad people who I yep. knew who served mm -hmm. in the military. There's a couple people who I might think about just attacking on sight if I ever saw them again. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I never will see them again. Those people exist. And this guy, everything that I've found, all the details and facts that I've found, in my personal opinion, and I put this in the opinion piece a couple months ago, points towards him not being one of the good guys, not being the kind of person that you should, you know, he's not the hill where you want to stand your ground. There are plenty of deserving people out there. This guy, eh, not so much. And I think it comes down to, for some people, uh, no one should be deported from the United States, citizen or not basically, but there are rules in this country. And that's why Miguel Perez Jr. was deported last Friday. He was sent to Mexico, handed over to Mexican authorities. I don't know what happens to him at this point. I suppose that's up for him. Now, a convicted felon trying to get back into the United States, he does have a couple things going for him. One, his family is still in the United States. His parents, his children, they're still in the United States. He does have two children. Yes, I understand. That makes him a bit more sympathetic. And you know what? It's a fact. There you go. That's not something that he's claiming and can't be proven. That's a fact. He has two kids in the United States, and I feel bad for those kids that their father is no longer in the country because of his inability to do what he needed to do. Unwillingness to do what he needed to do. Unwillingness, inability, whatever you want to call it. He, he, he couldn't get it done for whatever reason, whether he says it's because you know everybody else kept him from doing it by not telling him, well... <laughs> You knew you weren't a citizen, man, and you you should have known when you got arrested for a felony. Like at that point, you may have been like, hey, "Can I apply for a citizenship today?" Now, of course, had he been charged with the full amount of the two pounds of cocaine, Jake, the irony of the situation is he'd probably still be in the United States. I mean, yeah, he'd be in prison, but he'd be in the United States, so he'd have that going for him. He's a free man now down in Mexico. Um, of course, there's no border wall, so what's keeping him from coming back into the United States? All right. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, that may be an issue that comes up at some point in the future because he has said he's not staying in Mexico. So what does that tell you? That tells me that he's planning on coming back to the United States, uh, whether by legal or illegal means or whatever. So uh, we'll, we'll see if anything else happens on the story. But again, I just, you know, man when you are when you're giving me crap about this article that's five five facts and they are they're fact they're verifiable we know this we have these dates we're putting them out there and apparently you have more of an issue with our article that has five facts just because they don't make your guy look very good than you do with the yahoo article that gets everything wrong 
other than his name and the fact that he was in the army. They go with the two deployments to Afghanistan thing. They go with the uh, kicked out in 2010, sorry, discharged in 2010 and arrested in 2010 and diagnosed. 2010 was a bad year for this guy, according to them, because everything that happened to him happened in 2010. But in, in reality, he was in prison in 2010. So was it a bad year for him? Yeah, but not for the reasons they're saying. And this was put out by a national news organization. Good Morning America. It has their tag on it. Yahoo News. Ah, come on, man. What do you do? How do you not? How do you not get that right? Well, they're a bunch of yahoos. <laughs> Yahoo. Yeah, they're a they're a they're a company that's going places. I don't know exactly where. Actually, I have an idea, but we'll see. This is uh, it's just it's it's frustrating when you see something like that. Uh, news reporting. And this is part of the problem, a news report that had all the facts wrong. And I don't see a lot of people calling them out on it in the media. This is a story that I know a lot of people have seen. I saw somebody share it. A retired chief friend of mine shared it on Facebook. And he was like, this is awful. And I sent him the opinion piece that I had written a couple months ago and said, hey, man, this is the actual story. You may want to look into this. And he wrote me and said, like, oh, thanks, man. I didn't realize. I mean, they made it seem like. Guy got discharged for PTSD and arrest for cocaine like a month later. I was like, no, we're talking about a period of years here. He was kicked out of the Navy. The PTSD diagnosis came later. We don't know at what point. We don't know what from. I mean, was it being kicked out of the Army that got him the PTSD? <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. We don't know a lot about him because they've only put out the parts of the story that they think make him look sympathetic and make him look good. And that's not, not cool in my book. And as a journalist, when I see journalists doing that, I am not happy. So that's why I wrote the opinion piece two months ago. And that's why the news story went up yesterday with those five fast facts, basically to help keep you uh, informed on what's going on. Because otherwise you could be forgiven for thinking, wow, this poor, poor army veteran. Yeah. You know what? Maybe not as much as you had thought. And you may realize that a little bit more now, or you may be like the young man who thinks uh, I'm a hot garbage purveyor. I'm going to get that put on my business card. Yeah, along with the Obama butt-kissing <laughs> Kool-Aid drinker. Yeah, that's that's on Jake's. All right, morning briefing best of is coming up next. Paul Zoldra of the Duffel Blog. How'd that come to be? You'll find out after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. Tuesday edition, March 27th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. JQs is your producer and ConnectingVets.com. That's your website, created by veterans, for veterans, and focusing on the veteran experience in its entirety. Hey, if you're looking for a career, we're going to help you find that. If you're looking for help, we're going to help you find that. If you're looking for news, like the actual facts and details on the Miguel Perez Jr. deportation story, guess what? We got you covered there, too. Entercom's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day with a team built 
out of the veteran community. Each and every one of us either served ourselves or is married to someone who served. <laughs> That's basically the entire team. 13 years in the Army for Jake, 13 in the Navy for me. We know of what we speak, and we know we want to help our fellow veterans get the information and even some entertainment that they might need. So give us a follow on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, the mother site is ConnectingVets.com. Our next guest is someone I first became familiar with by watching him play a character on a TV miniseries. The character he was playing just happened to be himself because when it comes to Rudy Reyes, recon Marine, there's only one man who can properly play him on the big screen, and that is the man himself, Mr. Rudy Reyes, who joins us now on the morning briefing. Rudy, good morning. How are you doing today, brother? Good morning. I'm fantastic, brother. I'm in God's country and in South Carolina right now, doing some work in Clemson and uh, and linking up with some veterans out here and teaching and training and doing some leadership speaking to the kids. Uh, yeah, brother. You know what? It's wild. When you say that, I think back, uh, playing myself, people say, well, Rudy, wow, that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> and uh, I mean, how how uh, fortunate it be for you to, you know, first go into media and start at the top, HBO, $80 million production, so on and so forth. Brother, it was much more difficult than you can imagine. I mean, imagine uh, 50 people in a room, in, you know, uh, on location, cameras turning and burning. Um, there's thousands of dollars being spent a minute, and then uh, director looks at you, uh, camera speed, rolling, and action. Hey, you be you. I mean, you're like, uh, 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 and then here are the lines. Hey, hey, you be you, and here are your lines. I'm like, well, that's not what I kind of would say. Uh, I mean, brother, it was challenging. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, so in time, I loosened up, and, and that was my first project. Now I've been acting and, and modeling and, and doing public speaking and such for, I don't know, 10 years. Um, and that first time though was challenging and it was, and it was stiff a little bit, but by the, by the like third or fourth episode, I was really hitting my groove, but yeah, brother. Oh, and the very first scene that I shot the very first day I was on set, of course it was the nude scene. And <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, brother, I mean, how that cookie crumbled, um, it was definitely, um, it was definitely a new experience for me. And, uh, but I got to tell you, I loved it because it's challenging. Uh, a lot of people would not know that the film, the television and media, that is very, very much like the military. There's a, definitely parallels that you can't believe. You're always under the gun. You never have enough time. You always have to perform. And if you can't perform, you are freaking dropped yeah. immediately. Somebody is right behind you to take over the mission. Yeah, totally. And Rudy, of course, you portrayed Recon Marine Rudy Reyes in Generation Kill, a wonderful miniseries on HBO. Of course, that was based on your life and your career in the Marine Corps was a big part of the Generation Kill story. Let's talk a little bit about that career. Where are you from? When did you join? And what did you do while you were in the Corps? Yeah, brother. Well, you know what? I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, but I grew up um, all over Texas, Missouri, and then I uh, ended up in the Omaha home for boys. So Omaha, Nebraska is also my home. Um, my father was a Marine as well. And so I lived at Pendleton when I was a little, little baby, little kid up to three years old. I think I left when I was three and he was in Vietnam. 
Uh, I joined the Marine Corps. I guess people say I joined late. And now I've got some scope and some some uh, perspective. I joined at 26, and I joined in 1998. But I had been a kickboxer, and I had been a, a fighter, and pursued martial arts and illustration. I was also an illustrator. I I think I did everything exactly as it was supposed to be done. And no matter how old you are when you join the military, the military then adds on another layer of maturity and sacrifice to you. And I'll tell you what, I didn't become fully actualized as a man and to understand what kind of sacrifice and responsibility that word means until I went to combat. And, and until I saw and felt and was a part of uh, lives being taken and, uh, uh, and then also seeing my men being wounded and then uh, my men killed, until I was a part, I were, until I became a part of that life and death dance and that cosmic battle of good versus evil, I was still a kid. And so, I mean, I don't even know how to begin. I mean, you know, my first year in Marine Corps as a, as a recon Marine, and I joined as an O three hundred as an open contract mm. infantry guy. Um, I had this great GT and did very very good on the ASVAB, and they wanted me like in helicopter mechanics. But I just thought the whole mission of testing my manhood and joining the Marine Corps wasn't that I was going to go out and and locate close with and destroy the enemy by fire maneuver. I didn't even know what that meant. But I wanted to know if I had what it takes to face death, face it with honor, and still be professional in the midst of that fear. Uh, I was gifted with the opportunity because I was the honor grad and Ironman of, of boot camp and school of infantry. And I got a chance to try out for recon and went to an in-doc went to school in ARS, Amphibious Reconnaissance School, on the East Coast, which is just a death-dealing, freaking soul-taking, uh, a self-effacing Zen Buddhist nightmare because you're tested and your character is tested, your body's tested every freaking moment of every single day. And after I made it uh, through ARS and became an O321, um, you know, the rest is history. Combat diver, paratrooper, seer, Mountain Warfare, Explosives, Close Quarter Battle, uh, Illustrious Scout Sniper School in Virginia. I mean, it, it just kept coming. Right. Um, uh, that first year I was in the Marine Corps, but the first year I was in recon, 23 of my brothers died mm. just in training. A lot of civilians can't comprehend how much sacrifice and how much pain um, our families go through and how, um, how we must die in training to keep the precipice so high so that many more will live in the arduous nature of combat. I mean, how do you even begin to express these things to, to, to our, our society um, when they are um, so disconnected from pain and so disconnected from, um, from village and uh, wolf pack mentality? Uh, so, yeah, bro, I mean, it's, it's a magical uh, a, a, a journey. It is a magical, um, emotional feeling that, uh, that we're blessed with by giving so much, all of us veterans, from giving so much. Uh, it's a boon and a blessing of, of humanity and manhood that we, that we receive. 
but it is at a great cost. And so let us think about that cost that we freaking pay for this knowledge, that cost that we pay in our hearts and our minds in the nihilism that we carry. Let us think of that cost and let it be an investment. Let us parlay all of that that we learned through the blood, sweat, and tears and make a, a difference in our communities now. Be the best and brightest that we were in the Marine Corps, in the Army, in the Navy, in the Air Force, in the Coast Guard. Be the best and brightest that we were there. Let us be the best and brightest where we are now. We're speaking with Rudy Reyes, former recon Marine and currently doing some amazing things after that military career. And let's talk a little bit about that transition process for you, Rudy, going from active duty Marine to Marine Corps veteran. What do you remember most about that period? And and was it a difficult transition period for you? You know, what I remember most about my, my bridge from being a recon Marine and then becoming a Marine Corps, a recon Marine veteran. Uh, what I remember most is I was just in a gunfight, killing enemy, fighting off this death squad uh, in An Amarias, just uh, south of the Mech in Fallujah proper. I was in a gunfight, and five days later, I was home. And um, that was my third tour, and it was a bloody tour. What I remember is being back home and going through a ridiculous um, process called tap and tamps, which was uh, just a check in the box for so-called transition. And uh, just, you know, a week after running and gunning and killing the enemy, I was a team leader out there. I was in my living room and I was alone. My wife was working and I didn't know what to do, so I pulled out my kit and just started refitting my my gear. I started going right back into priorities of work that I did in the Marine Corps, and I found myself doing a junk on the bunk, a junk on the bunk uh, inspection style um, um, uh, inventory of my kit and my gear, and then and then uh, smelling and looking at some of the sand. Uh, from Afghanistan and and some some of the crusted mud in Pakistan and looking at these places I'd been in Iraq and and finding a little map that I took from one of Saddam's palaces and I'm, I'm just doing this inventory and I just kept doing it I just kept doing it I kept refitting re uh, refueling myself and uh, and kept reorganizing my gear. And I think I look back thinking about that. I haven't thought about that for 15 years, 14 years. Oh, shit. When did I get up? Oh, six. Uh, I, uh, I was looking at myself and I was trying to put things back in place because you know, I was living in Oceanside and I, I didn't know what the, where the hell I was really. And I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. So I organized my kit and then went to 24-hour fitness and just slayed my body. I mean, that's what I did. I organized <laughs> my gear. I took inventory. And then I spent like four hours at the gym slaying and slaying and slaying. So uh, that, was my, that was my transition. And my wife thought I was going crazy. And maybe I was. Um, I heard somebody one night. Uh, playing loud freaking hip-hop outside and my wife was tired at home i was still a recon team leader and i am a sweetheart 
I'm very benevolent, but I have another gear. I call it the freaking uh, um, tuned-up chainsaw gear. And if you flip that switch and I go into that gear, it's like trying to play hot potato with a tuned-up chainsaw, and I feel sorry for you. So that chainsaw gear came on, and um, my wife wanted to sleep, and the music was loud. Uh, Of course, I had my pistol. So the first thing I thought about is going out there to this freaking thug with my pistol and telling him to turn the fucking music off. I said, well, oh, brother, got to ask you to watch the language there. there. I just had to dump out of that. So oh, sorry, <laughs> we're live on the air. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, turn that freaking music off. <laughs> so instead, I said, I don't want to scare him too bad. You know, I don't really want him to know I'm going to kill him. So um, I'll just take my samurai sword down there. <laughs> <laughs> so I take my samurai sword down it. And this is outside after the freaking uh, back eight. And uh, I go down there with my sword. And I think I got the silkies on, which I'm renowned for. And I say, hey, brother, uh, could you turn off the freaking music? My wife's trying to sleep. I mean, I was still a freaking team leader, man. And the, um, the hate and rage, the aggression uh, simmering under the surface because uh, you cannot allow anyone to dominate you. You must always um, execute and uh, dominate and control. Why? Because you're in the craziest, wild west, most chopping, tooth chipping place in the world. It's called Fallujah. And I saw my wife or felt my wife was one of my teens and her sleeping Um, that was me putting one of my teammates down so that they can perform tomorrow or perform when they get up for, uh, off of their rest plan. So Mm -hmm. I took charge and this was happening automatically. There was no conscious thought. And of course the guy was, you know, freaked out. He he was like, yeah, yeah, don't don't, don't." turn down his freaking music. And and then that guy, that cat, he was there to see some girl there. He never came back, but, um, anyway, you can imagine yeah. it, it was pretty high tuned back then, and there was there was nobody else kind of going through this stuff. Because remember, we were high in in, in uh, rotation for the war. Yeah. There was continuous operations, and um, and I didn't think I had a problem with anything. I just thought that I just liked things to be squared away, and I didn't want anybody to. Um, I, I, I didn't didn't want anybody to really get out of line because I was going to put them in line. But looking back, you see, I was not a policeman. That was not my job. My job wasn't to be the freaking top dog all the time. But I didn't understand how how to be anything else. So I became a workaholic and I started coaching for I think twenty dollars a class at a at a dirty boxing gym. Mm-hmm. So I did seven classes a day, six days a week to bring in some money for the home. And then I became a coach and a personal trainer. Some, some wealthy people discovered uh, my passion and how, how good I was at, at physical fitness. And then uh, I started coaching Gina Davis and some other celebrities in San Diego, Rancho Santa Fe. And, uh, and I basically became uh, a continuous worker, training and training and training mm. and earning and earning, but really running, always running from what was really happening inside, which 
was depression, a lot of depression here because my identity as a recon Marine was uh, in jeopardy. It was in jeopardy. And, um, and then uh, I felt like I was in a fog. I was lost. I didn't know where to go next. And I was having tr- trouble sleeping. And so I started drinking. And I didn't start drinking until then. Until 2006, I'd never, I'd never had alcohol. Mm. started drinking to sleep. So on the surface, it looked great, Eric. I look... I looked like everything was freaking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one of my clients gave me a Jaguar. I had a Jaguar that was driving around. I had money in my pocket. I bought a, another home for my wife and I, but I was completely lost, and I was sad. I was depressed, and I was I was not sleeping, so I started drinking. Mm. And, uh, and we were so, you know, as veterans, we're so strong at presenting. We've accomplished such heavy-duty missions with the with the uh, uh, most stress and, and friction-filled environment around us, we don't know how to ask for help. We will have a freaking MRE in our pocket. We'll pull out some jalapeno and cheese cr- and some crackers. And when we take a bite, we'll break off half and give it to our teammate, our squad mate, our brother, our sister. That's the kind of men and women we are. Downsides that we don't know how to ask for help. And I was so... Um, uh, talented in a sense, I could keep the I could keep the the illusion going on the outside for a lot longer than most. But even I fell apart too. But uh, I call it a beautiful uh, a beautiful heartbreak, brother, because it was a breakdown to a breakthrough. And I feel so strong, and I feel so empowered now that I put the pieces back together because I asked for help because I uh, listened and learned to other men and women that had been through this process because I took the the challenge to change. Um, My blood, sweat, and tears from uh, all my combat, uh, that was still there. That didn't change. My really hard traumatic childhood, that was still there. That didn't change. Um, my, my, uh, um, My pain in my hip, my shoulder, that was still there. That didn't change. Um, my my uh, disillusion and um, and and the de- deconstruction of my marriage that happened. That was still there. That didn't change. I changed. Mm. I changed. Right. And one I of the things. One of the things that helped you change, Rudy, I want to make sure we get to this. We've only got about five minutes left, is getting into diving. And I know about this. I've heard stories and read oh, stories about you going brother. going diving. And yeah. Forest Blue, you guys are doing great things, as I understand it, down in Puerto Rico, a place that, you know, we, we've seen the devastation the hurricane caused on the land. I know it caused some underwater, having sure. gone diving in Vieques and other places like that. Uh, it, it's a beautiful place to dive, but now it, it's struggling after the hurricane. Tell us a little bit about your work with Force Blue, especially down there in Puerto Rico. Oh. For sure, Eric. Freaking forcebluteam.org. All of you people out there listening, you must freaking check us out. We're the most legit nonprofit. You know, there's some freaking shenanigans out there in that nonprofit world. Uh, we are transparent. It's it's the FUBU of special operations combat divers. <laughs> you know, it's the for us, by us, 
commando freaking aquatic superman and are, <laughs> i'm so proud of my team i've got seals i've got recon brothers i've got uh, army sf medics i've got british royal marine commandos we've got pararescue roger sparks also legend recovering um and, and my next team we're going to be having some australians as well and we have an israeli that wants to come on we uh we use our combat skills um, to go to a school I created by the finest reef scientists in the world in Cayman Islands, people like Lad Atkins and Patty Gross, mm. uh, Dr. Guy Harvey, and uh, we, we refit ourselves and give uh, um, new skills and training from our already immense diving and amphibious background to do work subsurface that no one else can do. Mm. Um, we, we rebuild coral reefs. Uh, in many different ways, because there's many different kinds of coral. It is very physical, very arduous. We use mixed gas so we can stay down for a lot longer and do this this really uh, um, life-saving work because a lot of people don't understand it. Corals, um, they make up 63%, maybe as much as 65% of our oxygen in our atmosphere. Even though they only cover 1% of the ocean floor, they are responsible for all of that life. It is a massive hypertrophic cascade of life, and it starts at the highline predators, and it goes all the way down to the minutia of the coral. And, uh, and without one of those pieces my brother, it can all fall apart. It can mm. all die. And they are a community subsurface. And the parallels there, that our veteran community, it is a community. Uh, but on the surface, in a sunshiny day and, and still water, everything seems fine. But you go underneath the water, and, and the community's in crisis. Yeah. Well, we see the same thing in our veteran community. And, you know, we make it look good. We're very tough. We're very strong. We're able. But underneath the surface, we may be in crisis. And we just need some help. We yeah, just man. need some love, some loving hands. And uh, and so that's what we're doing in Key Largo, in... Um, in um, Puerto Rico, which was an immense mission working for NOAA and the Ocean Conservancy. We were just on briefing D.C. Uh, two weeks ago on the freaking floor, and Capitol Hill gave us a standing ovation, and we're looking at changing policy, or we're looking at new missions in Guam and in uh, Australia. Wow. And this is just the beginning, brother. It is just the beginning forceblueteam.org and what a transition this dream of me uh you know doing something with my illustrious military experience hard-earned military experience yeah. and putting it into practice in a way that's making a difference now i mean isn't that the isn't that the best thing we can do eric i mean as oh, veterans yeah. as as keepers of our brother as uh as our leaders in our community isn't that the best thing we can do I think it absolutely is. And I'm glad to hear that you're going out to Guam. That's a place I was stationed and actually where I got my Patty oh, Scuba certification. I used to be able to walk out of the back door of my building. I used to be able to walk out of the yeah. back door of my building, the Alupang Beach Tower, and literally walk into the water, dive. There was a moray eel that lived 50 yards from the yeah. back door of my building. I mean, it's an incredible place and a place that's a United States territory and a place that uh, because of something's going on on the island, pollution taking place elsewhere, it's certainly a place that is threatened. Yes. And I'm glad to hear that there are people like Force Blue and Rudy Reyes who are doing something about all that. Now, Rudy, if people want to find out more about Force Blue, want to find out more about you, we got about 50 seconds left. Where can they go to find okay. out more? Uh, Force Blue, get on uh, www.forceblueteam.org. We're a nonprofit. 
You can check out me, Rudy Reyes dot com on the website and uh, Instagram, uh, Real Rudy Reyes. Uh, Facebook, Rudy Reyes. You can just Google my name, Google Force Blue, and you will see some gorgeous filmmaking of our missions that we've accomplished already. We've done groundbreaking stuff, and it's just the beginning. And you can do Google images on Rudy Reyes like the ladies in the office did the other day. And, uh, boy, they were happy with that one, brother. Rudy Reyes, we want to thank you so much for joining us again. Our thanks to Paul Zoldra, founder of Duffel Blog, replaying that best of interview with him earlier. This has been the Morning Briefing Tuesday edition. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. We've got some Vietnam veterans. We've got Eric Mitchell of Life Flip Media. Another big show headed your way tomorrow. See you then. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.